0: the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood. It's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Welcome, welcome everybody to the Herman London Real Estate Group Podcast live from the rooftop of Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, Missouri. I'm excited today about our special guest. I'm excited about our topic. I'm excited to have one of our realtors, Corey Hetzel, in here today to help me interview and we are just excited about real estate today in general and i want to just jump right into this and i'm going to introduce elizabeth kaiser with kaiser law we have an attorney in the office today so everyone be on your best behavior but elizabeth (laughs) if you don't mind i know we've known each other for a few years you've been to our office a couple times but go ahead and introduce yourself to us if you don't mind and to the listeners
1: Okay, great, Adam. I sure will. My name is Elizabeth Kaiser, and I am a real estate attorney. Uh, I founded the Kaiser Short Sale Law Firm back in 2008, and I've had the honor of going to Adam's office a couple times giving (laughs) short sale presentations. It's always been an enjoyable event. Um, what we do, Adam, is we specialize in, for the, your audience, we specialize in short sale negotiations. Um, and what that is, is that we negotiate with banks and their investors. When I say investors, I'm not talking about buyers. I'm talking about who owns actually the loan itself. In other words, if it's Fannie Mae, is it Freddie Mac, is it FHA, is it VA, or one of the uh, the GSE uh, investors that actually has the note. And we negotiate for them to accept less than the amount due so that we can get the seller out of that bad situation um, and get them back into life as they know it, protect their credit uh, in those upside down or negative equity properties.
0: Wow. Okay. You just said a lot there. I did. And if you don't (laughs) mind, for our listeners, we're going to kind of start small or whatever. I think Corey has some questions for you. Just in general, we want to kind of start from the beginning, if you don't mind. Corey, go ahead.
1: Elizabeth, if you could just give us an overview of what is a short sale. I sure can, Corey. What that is, is that in you as a realtor, I'm sure you've uh, encountered these situations where you actually become the bearer of bad news and you're at that kitchen table and you're talking to that person who uh, needs to sell the property. They may want to sell for many reasons, but you have to tell them that their home simply is not worth as much as they thought it was and it happens to be worth less than what they owe to their bank. Sometimes you get those listings, Corey, when they already know that and they say, hey, I've got a problem. I haven't made my payment for three or four months. My wife lost her job or if we had a reduction in income, many, many different reasons of hardships. And so they already know they're in a bad situation and they call you so they can have you help them to get out of their situation and you value their home and you then have to disclose the fact that, their home's just not what they think it's worth. It is worth less than the uh, amount that they owe to their mortgage companies. Sometimes it's one or two mortgages. And after closing costs and all of the other costs associated, including, you know, your commissions and everything else, they simply just don't have enough to pay off their banks. And it's a really bad situation. It's called underwater. It's called negative equity or upside down. So ever since the recession of 2007, 2008 and 2009, um, there's a lot of um, terms of art that we use to describe this same situation.
0: Do, do they always use the term short sale now? Because that a lot of people think, oh, that means like quick sale. And it has nothing to do with that, obviously. But it's the opposite. <laughs> is there, right, exactly. Is there some other word that people are using now, or is it still short sale?
1: It's still short sale, Adam. Um, in back prior to the recession, people actually did short sales, but they didn't know what to call them. Okay. So they would just, you know, call it an outlier, a one-off. They would call it a, you know, a workout. They were able to work something out or a settlement with settlement with their bank. But because the recession accelerated the amount of short sales in this country, or in other words, just really accelerated the number of homes that were in a negative equity situation the banks had to figure out what they were going to do to reduce their losses and sellers had to figure out what they were going to do to get out of their mortgage situation when they simply don't get enough proceeds in the sale to pay off their mortgage and so therein evolved the short sale and now that is the term and not only is that the term that was used today it's actually become the new normal for delinquent accounts banks now look at a short sale as the first option before foreclosure
0: okay They prefer it.
1: They do. They prefer it because they actually lose half the amount in a short sale as opposed to foreclosure. So to kind of put it in perspective, it's the lesser of the two evils. A short sale, a bank's going to lose money. But in a foreclosure they're going to lose twice as much money. And if you want to put it in percentage of the of the actual note, let's say you owe $300,000 to your lender for your home, Adam. And you're in a situation where it is upside down. Your home's only worth 250, but you owe 300. Well, if that seller, which in that scenario would be yourself if you stop making your payments for whatever reason, there's many reasons why people cannot afford to make their mortgage payments anymore, then the bank has a couple of options. They can take the house back and under foreclosure. And if they do that, they're going to average losing about 40% of that entire note. But in a short sale, they're going to lose about 20%. Okay. So they simply lose half as much. It mitigates their losses.
0: Okay. Interesting. So, you know, when, when we first met, and like you said, you started your company in 2008, Yes. when that was when everyone considers the real estate crash, right? Yes. And I guess since then, your company has grown. So you're seeing a rise in short sales, I would assume in general or you know i i kind of wrote a question down while i was preparing this like so short sales are still a thing (laughs) like people are still doing them i guess yeah i know they are because i'm trying to buy a house on short sale now but you are is it really still popular or
1: it it really is and what's happened it's it's interesting the market's improved we all know the real estate market has recovered not recovered back to where it was in 2006 and 7 but it has recovered substantially and In some areas of the country, it's recovered more than others. So it's really a spectrum. Like, for example, up in Chicago, it hasn't recovered hardly at all. Mm. So Chicago is where St. Louis was four years ago. So are they still, as you say, popular? Are they still being used? The answer is yes, because of this new phenomena, this new I call it a paradigm shift. When a lender takes an account and they call it a delinquent account, somebody falls behind on their payments or they get a call from a homeowner saying, I'm current on my payments, but I'm not going to be in six months. Because they anticipate a problem. Right. Uh, perhaps the employer employers said, you know, I'm going to give you your job for another three months and then we're we're closing shop. Right. You know, we're, we're contracting. Lots of reasons. You know, spouses get ill. Homeowners get ill. Um, there's divorce. There are non-financial hardships such as my boss is going to relocate me to Wisconsin. I can't afford two mortgages and they're right. not going to pay for my relocation, but I got to go. That's a non-financial hardship. So... It has become the new normal. So lenders now will look at a short sale. They call it an analytic. In other words, they put numbers in a certain matrix or a certain analytic system on their end. And if they determine that finding another buyer for that house and actually accepting less than the amount due puts more money in their pocket than taking the home back and having to sit on it for a year and a half and then sell it in the foreclosure market and... What do they have to do during that entire year or year and a half while they sit on it? Well, they have to pay taxes, real estate taxes. They basically own the property. They, it's all the, the preservation costs and the holding costs they have to incur. Then they have to hire, prior to that, they have to hire a law firm to foreclose. And then once they sell it in the REO market, you being a realtor and a broker, Adam, you know that well, you those properties, yeah, are deeply, deeply discounted. So it is, it definitely has become the new normal. Now, there are less listings that are negative equity because we have had some recovery in the market. But because it's become a new normal, it's kind of a wash. We're taking our law firm and we're expanding and we're entering Chicago in a big way. And we're also going into Rockford because they're the, the sixth worst in the nation. And Rockford is the second worst in the nation in terms of neg- negative equity.
0: Okay. Okay and you did you're in florida too weren't you
1: we are not in florida no we've actually what we've done is we provided our short sale negotiation services because we're very good at what we do and we partnered with a law firm in florida but we don't practice law in florida okay, okay. we practice law in both states of missouri and
0: illinois okay so you mentioned before and i'm sorry i know corey you have some questions too just jump in whenever you want to but you mentioned before that someone can call now and say hey I'm going to lose my job in three months. I'm going to be in a short sales situation. Let's figure something out. Two years ago, three years ago, the bank would have said, I don't have time for you. Call me when you start missing payments. Kind of, right?
1: That's true. That's true. And it may still happen. So it all, you know, the, the lawyer's proverbial reply to everything. It all depends. And I hate to say it. It really does depend. It depends on. Who your bank is, who the investors are, you know, if you're owner occupied, but in a lot of our files, the banks will actually listen. And if you, we demonstrate to that lender, Adam, and demonstrate, you know, with credible information that you really are going to be in a situation where you cannot afford to continue making those payments. Let's say in December. I mean, today is October and you can demonstrate that a lot of times they'll start working with us now because that really uh, heads it off at the pass and and it allows everybody to proact, be proactive and to really address their problems head on rather than take take their head in the sand and then lose 40% of the loan in a foreclosure option. So the point
0: is you have to kind of prove to the bank that you're serious. I am serious. I am losing my job and I'm not going to be able to pay. And that's where you guys come in, right, to help them prove how serious they are. That's that right. right,
1: and and that's not to say that in some files, Adam. Sometimes the banks will say, "Sorry, I can't help you. You got to uh-huh. fall behind." Uh-huh. And therein lies the paradox. And I know it doesn't sound correct. It's counterintuitive, and it's just such an enigma. People don't understand when the banks say, "You got to fall behind before I help you." It sounds absolutely insane. But if you really jump on, you know, the other side of the fence, so to speak, you know, you sit behind the desk where the where the bank people are, they have. Hundreds of thousands, of, if not, you know, millions of these loans and for them to react to a phone call that says, I'm going to be behind down right. the road. Nobody's a prophet. Nobody has the crystal ball. It doesn't make sense for them to react to something like that when somebody says, hey, I think I'm going to fall behind. Mm-hmm. They have to have something concrete. They're very analytical beings. The computers and the matrix and the analytics drive what they do. They're very numbers oriented. So most banks say, you know what, the proof is in the pudding. If you fall behind, I'll talk to you. But I don't have time to be talking to people that says I might be behind. But some banks actually will. So it really all depends.
0: And when you're getting them approved without them having to fall behind, is that still affecting their credit?
1: No, actually, if you can get them approved and they're still current on their mortgage, which, again, is an oddity, but we've done it many times before, then you can really protect their credit because if their FICO, let's say, is a 750 when we started the process, if they're not behind on their mortgage, and, of course, they're not behind on any other payments with their credit card debt and so forth, we can preserve their credit. Of course, there's a lot more to credit than just their three-digit FICO number associated with their social Right. I know we've talked a lot about the seller or the homeowner in this process, but is there any disadvantage to the buyer? There is a disadvantage to the buyer and there's an advantage. So let me talk about both, if you will. The buyer is has an advantage in which typically in a short sale situation, they are acquiring a piece of real estate for less than market value. That's a huge advantage. Another advantage to the buyer is that not only they're acquiring at a discount, but they're acquiring an occupied property, which means it's going to be well-maintained. It's Unlike a foreclosure where you may have your copper ripped out, you may have graffiti and the house might be in disrepair. Totally different situation. And also the neighborhoods are usually of much greater value in a short sale because if everything's occupied, then obviously the value of that neighborhood is going to be maintained as well. The disadvantage to the buyer is that you really don't know how long it's going to take. The good news though I can offer is that typically it's going to take between two and four months to acquire that property in a short sale. Whereas two to three years ago, Corey, it could have taken a year or more.
0: You said that one of the advantages is that the buyer is going to get to buy the property for under market value, and I know that to be true, but I don't understand why. Like you said, if I owed three hundred, but the home was only worth two fifty, I need to get the bank to agree to do a short sale so we can sell it. But you're insinuating, and the truth is, I'll probably the buyer will probably buy it for two thirty or something. Why do they get a discount even below market value?
1: Because it's in a short sale situation. So when the bank takes an offer, that whole category of that particular loan has already been earmarked. Uh And that loan has been earmarked because that loan typically has not been serviced for a few months. Again, I think we have to talk about the one-offs. We can spend a lot of time talking about the exceptions, but that really doesn't help the majority of your audience. So Uh talk about the general situation. The typical short sale is that loan that account has already been earmarked as distressed or non-performing. You've heard of the word non-performing loans. Because of that, statistically speaking, in all likelihood, that loan is not going to be serviced until they do something about it. So they know that in that situation you know as they say desperate times calls for desperate measures the bank knows that by buying participating in a short sale and to allow that homeowner to find a buyer to move in is typically going to require that they accept less than the amount due because in that situation the loan's not being performed anyway. And a lot of times those short sales and I said most of them are occupied some of them are not. Uh Some of them the have already left they may be six months behind on their mortgage they may even be a year behind in their mortgage and they may have already left because they're scared they thought they had to they hadn't been making their payments they don't know what to do so they leave out of fear or they had to relocate for a job or they just simply left because they wanted to go move in with aunt susie or whatever their situation was and so if it's vacant it's worth less as well but that loan has already been earmarked as delinquent Therefore, that bank is going to accept less than the amount due because they know it's going to be difficult to sell that for market value.
0: Okay. And like the short sale I'm trying to buy now, the people want to be in a short sale because they can't afford the house. But that also means that they haven't been able to afford any of the updates that needed to happen to the house for... The last three years, right? So that's I guess right. that's even more of a reason for me to get a discount on
1: it. That, that's exactly right. And when they say value, you know, you've got the CMA and you've got the market values, right. but then you have what they call distressed values. So these banks look at a house, let's say, that in a perfect world may be worth 200 but in a distressed value situation, in reflection of what you just said, the house is typically in disrepair. It's outmoded, outdated, everything above. And so it is going to be worth typically less than that original CMA value.
0: Tell me, is have you seen a difference from your experience in dealing with the bank versus dealing with the credit union on getting a short sale approved? Is it easier if it's a credit union, local credit union?
1: It's actually more difficult. Um, no,
0: don't tell me that. It's
1: a little bit more difficult in the credit union, although they have improved. And the reason is quite quite simple. The credit unions, Adam, typically do not have any kind of recourse. So for example, let's say you know most of our files, we're dealing with the big files. Five, which is, you know, your Wells Fargo, your your uh, Chase, your US, uh, U.S. Bank, your Bank of America's, the big five financial institutions. They have recourse typically because What's those recourse? recourse means that they can get their losses from somewhere. So if they lose that, let's say they lose seventy five thousand dollars seventy five thousand dollars on that loan because they had to sell it, except less than the amount due, uh-huh. and they just took a haircut of seventy five thousand dollars. They can recoup that seventy five thousand dollar loss on their mortgage. Sometimes by entities or government-sponsored enterprises such as FHA, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, those insurers. Sometimes they can actually recoup their losses from mortgage insurance companies. We've all heard of mortgage insurance. Yeah. The straight word is PMI, which is really wrong because PMI is actually a company, but... It's called mortgage insurance, and that's what it is. It's just an insurance policy. So if a bank loses money on their mortgage, they can basically file a claim with their mortgage insurance company, and they recoup the losses. Now, let's say credit union. That's what your question was. Credit unions don't have that. Uh, Most credit unions have those in-house. A lot of credit unions hold HELOCs, which are home equity lines of credit. So they don't have anywhere to take those losses. So your house burns down. You know what you're going to do. You're going to file a claim with your homeowner's insurance policy. Right. These credit unions don't have homeowner's insurance policies. Oh, no. So And there's another reason they're hard to work with. They don't have systems and departments. Right. So when you were dealing with an entity that doesn't have, uh, here's your forms, fill out Form A, fill out this, this is the process, put right. you into the hopper, this is what it's going to look like two months down the road. They don't have systems. Sometimes you're dealing with the president. Sometimes... It can go rather quickly because if you're dealing with the top dog, the president of the credit union, and sometimes you are because they don't have short sale departments, they don't have ad hoc committees. They don't have anybody who has authority above them, and they can make very quick decisions. So sometimes you can get it done in a month. Is there oh. ever a situation where the seller trying to list their property and then they find out they have to do a short sale? There's no other option? Well, the option everybody has is to ignore their problem and not pay their mortgage and stay in their house as long as they can without paying their debt. I would never advise that to anybody because your credit's going to be pretty much devastated for five to seven years, and you're not going to be able to move into another home for a long, long time, which is not good. The other option would be to rent. So you can stay in your home, and these are options to where... We call them home retention options, meaning that, no, you don't have to move. You can stay there. Even though you can't afford to make your mortgage, you can find a tenant. Of course, they still have to relocate, but they still own the home. So if they find a tenant that uh, can pay the mortgage or the majority of the mortgage, some people write it out, and they wait for the market to recover, and then they sell their home when the market recovers, if it does recover to a level they need. Another option, Corey, would be to um, do some kind of workout with their bank. The popular term is a loan modification. And if they could modify their loan, which statistically is really difficult to do, that a lot of loan modifications may work for a while. It's called a trial period. And then after about 90 days, the loan modification isn't working any longer, it fails, and then it goes into a short sale or a foreclosure situation. So there are options that is to rent hold out, get a better job, make more money, pay your debt, rob Peter to pay Paul, which is, of course, always an option. Go to your Uncle Harry or whoever that you can get some uh, financing from. Or modify your loan, which is really, really difficult to do. Or short sale. Or just simply walk away and do a what they call strategic default or strategic foreclosure, which is the worst thing out of all the options I just described.
0: That's actually how our property management company started growing is when we would go to these people's houses and say, We can sell your house. And it turns out they're going to lose a bunch of money. And we're like, "Or we can rent it for you for more than your mortgage payment, you know. And that's kind of how our property management company started. Really? Interesting. Yeah. It's been good. Yeah. You know. uh, Now we have, I guess, a lot of people who just want to be property owners or investors, you know. But it started out with a lot of people who their option was short sale or rent it out.
1: Right. Yeah. You can definitely rent it.
0: So there was some law. The I forget what it was called, like the Home Mortgage Forgiveness Act of 2012 or something like that. Do you you know what I'm talking about?
1: I do. It's the uh, that's the the tax act. Yeah, Uh the Mortgage uh, Forgiveness Debt Relief Act, and that expired actually in 2013 but what they did is they extended it to protect everybody who closed in 2014 okay so what that means is that if you closed a short sale transaction meaning you went to the title company and it's done and over and it's actually closed anytime time in the year 2014 all the way up to december 31st 2014 that you will not be taxed for that deficiency so let me explain what that is i previous about 20 minutes ago I was talking about this shortage or the with the haircut that the banks right. take in a short sale let's say there are seventy five thousand dollars that they never get out of a short sale because mm-hmm. that's what a short sale is right. selling or accepting less than the amount due That $75,000 to the IRS is considered phantom income, aptly described phantom, meaning it really doesn't exist, but it does exist on paper. So phantom income, the IRS sees that as a forgiveness of debt, which is the same thing as if you owed me $1,000, Adam, and I say I forgive you of your debt, it's almost as though I put $1,000 in your pocket, isn't it? Uh-huh. If you look at the other side of the column. So they call that phantom income. So the IRS has the right to actually tax you on that phantom income or that shortage. That act protects everybody and, and uh, does not permit the IRS to tax on that shortage for any closings that happened all the way up until December 31st, 2014. That has expired. But most people, when they short sale their home and they close, qualify what they call the insolvency clause. I'm not a tax attorney nor am i a tax advisor but because of what we do we have to be very familiar with us so we make sure that all our clients in closing their short sales adam always go to their tax advisor to get this advice but and we've met with tax attorneys and tax advisors and cpas but most people qualify for the insolvency clause which existed before this act which protects them from taxation
0: we just had a, a this credit union deal that i'm doing the credit union said yeah sure we'll do a short sale the seller will be responsible for the difference. And I'm saying, well that's not a short sale, first of all, if you're mean, trying to get the money from them, <laughs> right. you know. But so the seller needs to look into this insolvency clause that you're mentioning?
1: They do, they do. But what you just said is that the seller would be responsible for the difference. And that's different. That's that's just the deficiency. Now we're talking about taxation, which is kind of They're related, but they're two different animals. The deficiency, when that credit union said, well, sure, your client's going to have to pay for the difference, and I agree with you, it's not even a short sale. They probably wanted to set your client up for some kind of scheduled payments, I would assume, like over five years to pay the difference. I don't
0: think we got that far, but Okay, let's just assume that they did. Okay.
1: And let's assume that that difference was Mm $100,000. Well, your client in that situation would not receive a 1099 from the bank because the bank didn't take a shortage. The bank's still getting their money. They're just prorating it or amortizing it over five years. Let's say that they did accept less of the amount due and there was nothing due from your client. Uh-huh. So they actually waived the deficiency. Uh, when they waive the deficiency, they can issue the 1099 to your client stating, hey, we waived the deficiency, which means put your hands up. We agreed not to take any money from your client for that $75,000 shortage, which is a gift to your client. Now right. your client has to pay taxes on that difference.
0: Okay. I, you know, One of the questions I was going to ask you, which I'm going to try to answer partly and then you can finish for me if you don't mind. Why should a seller or a realtor who's a listing agent use a company like yours instead of just trying to do it alone like so many realtors have done? I've come up with three reasons so far. And one is you can pro- possibly help the seller save their credit, right? If you can get the bank or the lender to agree without them having to miss a payment, which you guys would probably have a much better chance of them having to happen maybe we can help save their credit, right? Number two, it's going to happen faster, most likely. Because yes. I've done a short sale before where it took two years. And I think, and it didn't happen. Actually, it didn't close after two years. So you guys probably could have helped us. That's painful. I, it, was, it was very painful, <laughs> believe really me. Painful. it was a, It was like a... I think it was like a $30,000 house, so we did a lot of work for two years to you know, to wow. not have it closed. Do you guys help the seller avoid this tax on phantom income or help them somehow avoid getting 1099 for the difference?
1: You want to take the first one, the credit? We said credit, speed, and tax.
0: There you go. No, yeah, that's those are my three. You go. That's what I
1: do, and I hear a lot of information. I'm like, I break it down to words. So okay, Okay. credit, speed, and tax. Let's take the credit first. Talk to me. So (laughs) I I can talk to you. So the credit, we save their credit, Uh and I want to emphasize to the audience, and this is so important. I cannot underscore it enough. In fact, I published an article on this, and the Baltimore Sun and the Huffington Post picked it up, which I was excited to see, because it is it's such a misnomer or a fallacy out there everybody thinks their credit is just this magic three-digit number that's associated with your social and you know like a a 620 or 640 or 750 or if you're really lucky you've got an 800 or I don't even know how high it goes but
0: Uh 850 I think
1: 850 there you go and credit is so much more than that so that little three-digit number that we all know we have is called FICO Some people don't know. They just call it whatever it is. But that's the FICO. And you can get that with freecreditreport.com. There's lots of websites that will give it to you free. But credit is more. Credit is also the ability to purchase another home. So if somebody goes through a short sale, we can get them back into another house in as little as a year, Adam. If they stick their head in the sand and do not address their problems and... Pretty much just fold their arms and say, I can't handle it. I'm going to walk away. Let the bank take it. I'm done. Sad thing is they may be done with that house, but they're not done with their life. And they're not done with their credit. In our society, in our country, credit is everything. So... They may not be able to get back into a home for five to seven years, which is a big deal, especially if you've got kids and you've got the white picket fence and you've got the spouse and you've got the dog and everything else. I don't even have to go into that. And not too many people like to live in the basement of their parents' homes or Uncle Charlie's homes. Or And it's hard to find a landlord to even rent any space to you because if you've got a foreclosure on your record, if I were a landlord, I would probably go look for another tenant. So that's something people don't think about another thing is and this is really important a lot of our jobs are tied to a security clearance so the job you have if you touch money i've been told if you just actually touch money at the customer service counter you know at walmart and lowe's there's some kind of security clearance tied to your position and it's a spectrum so it might be one or it might be 10 if you work for the cia it's still a security clearance if foreclosure hits your credit record then they pull credit every few months and sometimes very systematically. They can legally terminate you if foreclosure hits your credit because it just breached the conditions to your security clearance. It can also preclude or to prevent you from getting a job that requires a security clearance. So it it can have a devastating impact on your employment current employment, and future employment opportunities. Not to mention, what kind of interest rates are you going to be paying for financing a car, getting credit, and then one of the American dreams is owning your own business. Most people have to go out and get some kind of line of credit, SBA loan, you know, capital, seed money, call it what you want, there's a lot of words for it, but a loan to start your business, I don't know too many lenders, when they pull credit, are going to loan you money to start your business if you've got foreclosure on your record. Sure. So there's just a lot to credit. I really wanted to emphasize that. And because we're specialized in that, we can really help preserve your credit and preserve life as you know it. Okay. Second thing, speed. This is all we do. So inevitably, if this is all we do and you do one thing 24-7, day in, day out, you really do your job well. Sure. Um, We have... Red phone contacts with a lot of uh, entities and banks and investors that influence policies and guidelines. Uh, Because we are a law firm, we can get through doors that the normal person couldn't. We do talk to legal counsel at the banks, to the investors. We have contacts even with the U.S. Treasury that have crafted and have drafted certain short sale programs, such as the Hafa program. There's a lot of red phone contacts that not only are important people very high up in the food chain that make ultimate decisions, but people that have known us for years that really do give us preferential treatment because we make their job easier because they don't have to educate us. They don't have to say, well, here's a BPO and this is what you need to do and here's the forms. We're way ahead of the curve. So we've reduced the time from 12 months, sometimes 14 months in answer to your question, Corey, down to about two to four Mm -hmm. months. And it's not just us. The banks have gotten better. The banks have fine-tune their systems and their processes as well. We also keep realtors out of trouble because, like, for example, the Supreme Court in Illinois has passed an opinion in their mortgage subcommittee that says any component of short sale negotiations is the practice of law because we give legal advice as to deficiencies and credit, we negotiate notes, we negotiate mortgages. We are always working with divorce attorneys and bankruptcy attorneys and everything else. And so we also keep everybody out of trouble. So, for example... We get phone calls from people saying, I'm getting sued by my bank. I short sold my home three years ago. What do I do? And they uh-huh. were told that they got to wash their hands of it. Well, the deficiency wasn't weighed because it wasn't handled or negotiated properly.
0: So, by the way, yeah, it's not like a seller needs to either call you or call a realtor, right? We can all work together.
1: That's right. In fact, we, don't, we cannot do this without people like you. Uh-huh. It's a perfect collaboration because we're not realtors. Right. We per- we it's a perfect collaboration where we negotiate and we have a ninety five percent success rate. And so when you take a listing on and we're negotiating that short sale, then you collect your commission and we've got that ninety five percent success rate of rowing the boat in the same direction, making sure the buyer gets that house, protecting the seller, preserving life as they know it, and making sure that you have a successful closing.
0: So after this home affordability thing ended in 2014, have you had success helping people not get 1099 for the difference?
1: Absolutely. In fact, most of our files, and I just want to clarify one thing, that act that ended in 2013, it was extended to December 31st of 2014. That's the tax act. That's the mortgage forgiveness debt relief act. Okay. That's something different. The, the, act that you just referenced is called home affordability. I think you're talking about HAFA.
0: I love just mixing them all together. I know, it's
1: confusing, but I'm really tracking you. So, okay. HAFA is a short sale program that was promulgated by the U.S. Treasury, and that's alive and well today. In fact, that HAFA uh, program we love because that puts $10,000 in the seller's pocket for relocation incentive okay. fees. Okay. So, that that's a big deal. But your question was?
0: So, have you had success helping the sellers not get invoiced, basically, or get the ten ninety nine?
1: If the deficiency is waived, there's a chance that they're going to get the 1099. What we're successful with is that, first of all, you always want the deficiency waived. uh, You don't want the bank having to go after that deficiency Uh because then you're always looking over your shoulder and you're haunted right Uh, forever that the when the bank can just wait for you to get back on your feet and go after you so there's always a potential that they may get a 1099 and they may not if they do get a 1099 we need to make sure and we always do this we give them the information they need to take to their tax advisor uh in fact i just got a call last week that they were doing taxes on the october 15th day day the taxes were due for an extension and i was giving them the irs publication notice I think it's 4682, something like that, to their accountant because the accountant wasn't quite sure what to do. So I was giving in that mortgage uh, debt forgiveness IRS publication so that they could actually file that. And in this situation, he was totally protected by the act because his closing happened in January of 2014. But if they're not, we make sure that those accountants are handling it correctly under the insolvency clause.
0: When you first started this, as far as I know, you were basically like the only company out there doing it. In the I Midwest. Mean, <laughs> in the Midwest. Okay. And yeah. okay. At least in St. Louis that yes. I know of, you know, and now I guess you have some competitors and like, I, I just was, I've had two buyers asking about this one particular house. It's a short sale and it says, you know, the buyer has to pay 4900 or something like that dollars at closing. Is that you guys? Is that no. something else? How does can you can I can we talk about money a little bit?
1: Oh, well, yeah, we can, we can, and I and I welcome that. First of all, we're the only law firm that is doing this in the Midwest that I know of, okay. uh, exclusively.
0: So this um, is just some guy who thinks he knows a lot about short sales, probably.
1: Well, and that is, you know, our main competitor. Ironically, they're not lawyers at all because this is such an arcane area. You can't go to like a legal seminar and learn short sale negotiations or the practice right. of short sale law. It just doesn't exist. Uh-huh. We're actually going to be speaking for the Missouri bar next spring at the real estate institute so we will be teaching other attorneys how to do it and i welcome to do that okay maybe not four years ago Uh but doing it now as far as our competition our competition basically are agents that say hey i think i can do this Uh unfortunately we get phone calls from former homeowners that short sold their home where agents negotiated their short sales and they're getting sued by their banks because these are legal documents that come from the banks that need to be interpreted and negotiated right by an attorney. And so when you see the buyer's side paying fees, typically what that is, is that is non-legal entity, person or company or structure that are charging the buyer the fees for negotiating. Now, we simply don't have to do that. Because we're a law firm, we have three other sources to get our fees from. Uh-huh. Uh, for example, we can get our legal fees from the seller's incentive. I had mentioned the Haffer program. Uh-huh. In fact, we influenced that policy and guideline so that we can get paid directly on the HUD from those fees Okay. Um, that was years ago we can get paid from any bank seller incentive fees we can collect advanced legal fees from the seller okay. as well when we take on a file and there's a lot of different other areas that we can actually take the fees because we work closely with title companies right. because we are the seller's attorney and in the short sale process they do allow and allocate money for seller's legal fees but when you're a non-legal entity there's very very few places you can take it so a lot of times they charge The buyer. What we're concerned with is that when you charge the buyer, let's say the almost five thousand dollars in your scenario that you depicted, that's going to narrow your pool of buyers. And if you narrow your pool of buyers, how do you reconcile that with your fiduciary duty to your seller? Uh And that's a problem we have as 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 an attorney, and we simply don't need to take the fees from the buyer.
0: Yeah, and so I mean. I I don't know if you know this or not, but just kind of like theoretically, where are we even agreeing that where's the buyer even agreeing to pay that at closing? I don't think we're going to put that on the sales contract necessarily.
1: The way that works and believe me, I get this question all the time when I'm in presentations, apparently that there's a contract or an agreement that they have the seller and the buyer and everybody signs on at the beginning when that buyer makes the offer. Now, what we do is that We represent the seller. So, you know, we get our business from realtors, from people like you, Uh that when they discover these situations, they call us and we're brought to the table, so to speak, and we start the process. And we protect your commissions because we don't take your commissions. You get your full six. And so in those situations, they have it all agreed up front where the buyer is going to be paying those fees. Whether the buyer pays fees on the HUD at closing, I'm not quite sure.
0: Um,
1: But that's something that was born out of the recession where... People were trying to figure out how to get paid to do these, and they were not they were not a legal entity, so they were not permitted to take any money from HAFA or from the seller. You can't take advance fees from a seller if you're not a legal entity. Yeah, That's where that all came from. We've had agents say, I want the buyer to pay your fees. And if they've already got the deal put together, what we've done is we've consulted with the MAR, and we've consulted with the legal counsel of the Missouri Association of Realtors. Right. So we know how to do that right and to keep everybody above board and keep everybody out of trouble. So we can do it as long as it doesn't prejudice the best interests of our client. And when the deal is already put together, a lot of times it doesn't. If the bank approves it, the deficiencies waived, we can do that. But it is a one-off ad and we don't promote it.
0: It seems really weird that someone would – I mean, of course, I'm talking to you now. And I'm, like, Of course, I'm going to say this. But it seems really weird that why would someone use a non-legal entity who has to charge this much money – instead of using your firm?
1: Well, I think it's because we haven't got to their office to give them a presentation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: And you know, there's only so many of us and sometimes it's hard to do. And you have yeah. choices in advertising, which I'm sure you are you think of every day and running your company. It's like, right. how are you gonna get the message out? And that's always yeah. an ongoing challenge. Uh-huh. And the way we get the word out is word of mouth. We do presentations a lot. To put ads in newspapers and billboards and all of that, We're very reluctant because we don't feel like it's cost-effective or targeted advertising. Uh Uh But now we're actually starting a, like, for example, in Chicago. And, you know, our headquarters is St. Louis. We're never leaving St. Louis. So when I say Chicago, that doesn't mean we're moving. We're just expanding. But we're actually going directly to the homeowners. And so that's exciting. So we're dropping about 26,000 letters to these distressed homeowners that we've bought data from so that we can show them there's a better way. Okay, and that's, like another the yeah, that's another way default that's another way that we're marketing so we're talking about the messaging and why would somebody not use us and you know have the buyer pay and then you're limiting your pool of buyers I frankly don't know because we do keep everybody out of trouble our success rate is 95 percent we don't take anything from your commission uh, we're very serious and I think we do a pretty good job because this is all we do
0: tell us how the listeners can get a hold of you
1: Sure. Our number is 636-220-2218. We have a website, of course, kaiserlawfirm.com. Kaiser's with a Y, not an I. -I
0: K-A-Y-S-E-R-L-A-W-F-I-R-M.com.
1: You got it. Perfect. Okay. With a Y instead of an I. We also have an email address, which is the info at kaiserlawfirm.com. And that is the way you can get a hold of us. So it's pretty easy. We're out and about. Uh, We have a lot of... And one thing I want to mention... That's how you get in the door to, to get us on board so we can start the process. Uh-huh. But once you're in our firm and you become a client, you then get the direct contact information of the person who's going to handle you.
0: So you'll get assigned like a negotiator? You
1: get assigned a negotiator. and You don't have to go through the front office or a secretary not like a typical law firm. You get assigned your negotiator and then you have their direct contact information, even including texting and everything else.
0: So I'm going to jump in. I have five questions that I like to ask everybody. They're a little more personal, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Not too personal, though. Okay. But okay. So this is my five can questions. Can I plead the fifth on any of them? <laughs> sure. Yeah. You, you know, Joey, can. he's got his finger ready to delete whatever we need to delete Yeah, here, I so. see
1: that finger on the button.
0: <laughs> okay. So who lives under your roof?
1: Well, I have two children. I can okay. do that. I'm in West County. I have two children. I have a 25-year-old who is the... Um, I'm going to put a plug in for her. There, Thank you. Please. She's the uh, marketing strategic coordinator, big long title for HEC Television Station. Really? Which is Higher Education Channel. She has a degree in uh, communications and oh. marketing, and she is a... Uh, uh, move her into shaker and she's out there doing a lot of things, making a lot of things happen. Cool. So, um, now she does not live with me. She shouldn't at 25. Okay. She's very independent. I have a 12 year old seventh grader.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: And I uh, am engaged to be married.
0: Congrats. Thank
1: you. And we don't live together yet. Um, oh, and, well, I guess
0: your parents would be so happy about
1: that. Yeah. And we live in uh, West County, just right at Doherty Ferry in 270 and have been there for about eight and a half years. Wow, perfect. Wonderful neighborhood. Love it, love it.
0: Beautiful. Okay, and where are you your best?
1: I am best at... Creating, energizing, motivating, and making things happen. I love to connect the dots. I love to look at dots and seeing the synergy and the common denominator between a lot of dots and putting the right people in the right positions. Accelerating companies. I love to identify the deficiencies and the defects and everything else in not just my own company and improve it, but other companies as well. So I run this law firm, but there are other interests I have Okay. Definitely. I started my first company when I was 15, so I'm more of an entrepreneur than an attorney.
0: Wow. Do you have a favorite blog or podcast? But being that you're an entrepreneur, I want to add in there <laughs> and or favorite kind of book or something that, you know, something that had a big impact on you. Let me
1: say two things. Sure. I'm going to give you yeah, a different dimension to me because, you know, sometimes we have a tendency to talk all about business and life yeah. is a lot more than just business. I grew up in the country and I was really? fortunate to have not a farm or anything, but we were fortunate enough to have three acres and. And I had a... Uh- gorgeous quarter horse and spent a lot of time with my horse Okay. so I have a lot of uh, that outside nature in me that I always kind of go back on the weekends and we do a lot of hiking and I love the outdoors my favorite place to visit is Costa Rica been to an eco adventure in Costa Rica and experienced earthquakes and volcanoes and whitewater rafting and loved to zip line so I love the outdoors who knew still love my horses yeah so there's definitely a different dimension and one of the books that really impacted me that touches that nature part of me is last Child in the woods mm-hmm. and it's just a, basically about how culture has lost touch with with nature and we're also, you know digitized and everything so the other book though that regards my business and like I said I'm kind of a maybe a walking contradiction but it really gives me a good balance in life is high tech high touch that is a New York bestseller and it's about how We are quickly losing the touch of the power of the human voice. I just did a presentation of the power of the human voice downtown at the Cortex building, which is on my website. Cool. One of our popular acronyms uh, that we use in our firm is PUP, and it stands for pick up the phone. Because the voice is so much more powerful than an email. You need both, but you got to know when to pick up the phone.
0: Good. Okay. We'll have to check out those two books. I've heard this term, high-tech, high-touch, before, but I didn't know it was actually a book.
1: There is a book. In fact, I think I uh, have it with me, actually.
0: Oh, good. All right. And what's your guilty pleasure?
1: I love a good movie. I can't stand TV. I'm always looking for a good place to dance because I love to dance.
0: Really? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, good. All right. And last question. Who is your mentor and how have you thanked them?
1: Richard Branson. <laughs> really? Yeah. When it comes to business. Okay. Uh, my other personal mentor would have to be my father. He's the okay. steady Eddie. He portrays that stay the course. Uh-huh. Uh, he's amazing at staying the course, keeping your eye on the ball. Okay. And he's extremely honest. He he teaches me those virtues that you you pick up $20 on the sidewalk and you go to the person in front of you and say, I think you dropped this. Uh-huh. So I, I owe that to my father. Business is Richard Branson. Uh, the guy is amazing. I've read some of his books and he is the icon of entrepreneurialism. And I've tried to um, get in contact with him, but it's hard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's probably on his own private island. Yeah, that out. or
1: in a hot air balloon or something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. That's that's the end of it. Tell me what else you want to, anything else you want to say or mention that we forgot.
1: Sure. I, um, I do want to underscore the fact that we would love to uh, help people. That's one thing we enjoy doing. And we really do help people in the time of need. And the short sale is an amazing tool that really is a win-win-win. It's right. not just a win. It's not a victor for one person on one side of the fence. Uh-huh. It really, first and foremost, helps the seller to preserve preserve life as they know it. And it's, it's not an embarrassing situation. Foreclosure is. Uh-huh. So we can really help them to get through the process we just got a call from one of our former clients and uh, it was interesting because we had just short sold their property and they were calling us to get the approval letter and the hud and all the documents because guess what they're buying another house
0: wow.
1: and if they would have let that go back to the bank that no, phone call no would have chance. never right. happened mm-hmm. and it's a it's a win for the buyer because they get a good deal and it's a win for realtors because it keeps everybody in the transaction if it goes back to the bank you've lost it exactly if it goes for a short sale you can also not only sell their house and bring us to the table to negotiate that but they're going to be calling adam Cruz again to get back into a house in another year because they're going to be qualified and it also helps the banks because they lose less money now we don't represent the banks but again it's a win-win-win and i just want to underscore that because i think it's very very important
0: beautiful kaiserlawfirm.com thanks for coming in today thanks adam
1: thank you very much